Welcome to a special bonus edition of the Daily Signal podcast. We are still here at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Orlando, Florida. And we have so many awesome interviews that we want to share with you all today. Doug, tell us a little bit about them. We have some interviews with some of the most important lawmakers in Congress right now. And they're going to talk to us about the most important issues facing the country. So, Virginia, who are we talking to today? We are talking to Republican Congressman Jim Banks, Ken Buck, Ted Budd, and Scott Perry. What a lineup. These are phenomenal leaders in our nation today, and we're so excited to share their conversations with you all. We hope you enjoy. Here with me today is Congressman Banks, a representative from Indiana. Thanks so much for being here, Great Congressman Great to be with Banks. you. So we'd love to get your take on what's going on in Ukraine right now. We know that Russia has launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. What are your thoughts on this? Well, first and foremost, it appears to me at this point that Joe Biden uh, did a head fake yesterday. Unfortunately, he didn't head fake Putin. He head faked the American people. He signed sanctions, but the more that we learn about the sanctions, the more that we learn how much of a joke they are. They actually carve out the energy sector of Russia's economy. So if America is truly serious about backing off Russia from invading Ukraine and, start, and, and causing this conflict to go any further or removing them from Ukraine to begin with, then why not hit Russia where it counts? We could do four things very quickly and easily to cripple uh, Russia's economy. We could sanction their uh, energy-dependent economy, uh, which the sanctions don't do. We could remove them from the SWIFT uh, banking system, the international banking system. Okay. We could sanction Putin directly, hit, hit him where it hurts. And uh, we could uh, uh, go after uh, the, the oligarchs around Russia, around Putin, that, that prop him up. So, and then at the fourth thing that we could do is name Russia a state sponsor of terrorism for helping Hezbollah and a lot of our other enemies. And unfortunately, this president, who is so weak in this moment, has refused to do all of those things. And that's why we have this uh, conflict continuing to get worse. And do you think that the way the United States withdrew from Afghanistan played any role in this? Sadly, I, I do. I really do. I served in Afghanistan. It still makes me sick to my stomach uh, what happened last summer. Uh, uh, truly a debacle that caused so much uh, embarrassment for America on the world stage. And, and make no mistake about it, Putin was waiting for a moment like this. He was waiting for a weak American president who he knew was not going to do anything to cause Putin or Russia harm to invade Ukraine. And that's why he's doing it right now. For four years, we had a strong president who deterred Russia. And keep in mind, uh, for four years, we had a, a president, Donald Trump, who made the world more safe and secure because of his strong American foreign policy. There has not been a single day with Joe Biden in the White House that was more safe than any day of the four years of Donald Trump in the White House. So it's that American weakness expressed by Joe Biden that has invited Putin to invade Ukraine. But it's but that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that uh, Chairman, Chairman Xi and China are watching every move and they, they are doing that Russia is doing everything that they're doing in coordination with China. They both put out a joint statement and in that joint statement they said Ukraine belongs to Russia and Taiwan belongs to China. So uh, China is watching every single weak move by America and they know that they can get away with their ultimate goal of 
taking Taiwan away, and, and that's that's disastrous uh, for Western values, for freedom, for democracy around the world if they accomplish that. And are you worried about these next steps? Because you know, I've heard you lay out steps that the United States should make. I've heard a, a couple other Republican lawmakers lay out steps that the United States should make, but it doesn't sound like President Joe Biden is going to follow that advice. And are you worried about what happens next? I mean, I. I, I I am every single moment I'm questioning why is this president not doing what is obviously the the simplest uh, thing that we can do to cause harm to Russia. I mean, why why is it that that Joe Biden is not willing to be tough on Russia? It doesn't make any sense to me. I, instead, there's a lot of talk about bloodshed and war when all of this could be deterred if if we simply do what I said a moment ago to do, but hit hit Russia where it hurts. Russia is a gas station with an army. They depend entirely on the oil and gas uh, sectors to prop up their their economy. Their economy is not as strong as our economy. Their military is not as strong as our military. Right. Uh, but we have a president in, in, in the White House who appears completely unwilling to do anything strong at all to deter Russia, and, and that's why all of this is happening. And I, I know you just said that Russia's military is not as strong as our military. I keep seeing these videos on Twitter. Conservative commentators have been resharing them, comparing this Russian military recruitment ad to United States military recruitment ads. And in the Russian one, it's very tough and macho, and they're doing all these physical feats. And the American one, it's a girl in a sorority uh, who talks about her lesbian parents who's joining the military. And a lot of people were joking that this is this is an embarrassment. This, are you worried about any kind of repercussions from this type of ideology in the United States? Yeah, it's not a joke. I mean, Joe Biden has spent every day in the White House as commander in chief emasculating our military while other militaries are getting stronger around the world. It's about misplaced priorities. It's about building a military that can fight and win wars, not using the military as a social experiment. Um, on, on some of these radical left-wing uh, issues like critical race theory and right. radical gender theories and other, other uh, uh, leftist ideologies that we're pushing on the military. It's sickening to me. I mean, at, at a time when the world is on the brink of a major conflict, um, the world is, is, uh, is not safe, uh, it's a dangerous place, and we have a president who's more focused on advancing critical race theory and some of these left-wing ideologies on our military and our schools and, and really stripping away who and what we are as Americans. I mean, it's, it's absolutely sickening to me. Do you think Americans are starting to notice this? Do you think they'll take a stand? I, I really do. I mean, that, that stand comes in the, in the midterm election uh, this coming November. But there are also, but, but so many Americans are also speaking out and getting involved. People that have never been involved before that are getting involved at the local level, at, school, at the school board level, uh, but also at the, at the state and federal level. It's going to culminate with the upcoming November election, but I, I see a movement building in this country to take our country back because Americans are seeing, for many Americans, for the first time in their life, they're seeing their standard of living decline in the greatest country in the world. It shouldn't be that way, but that's what we get with Joe Biden and these Democrats. I also, I have to ask, I mean, I, as you think about uh, inflation, crime, uh, the drug epidemic, the border crisis, all of these foreign foreign policy uh, collapses and debacles, Afghanistan. How can any thinking or reasonable American ever vote for a Democrat again when they're seeing exactly what you get with Democrats, which is so different than what we had for four right. years with Republicans in office? Well, we're so grateful for your insights and thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with Bank. you.
My guest today is Congressman Ken Buck, who represents Colorado's 4th Congressional District. Congressman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you. Let's talk about big tech. Now, Congressman, you have been very open about your belief that big tech represents a threat to free speech. Given that we believe that is the case, what is Congress's responsibility to deal with this? Well, there are a number of strategies that have been developed, and I think uh, it's really important to understand. I, I am the ranking Republican on the antitrust subcommittee, so I'm advocating for antitrust action. I also believe that we've got to figure Section 230 out, and I also believe that we have to look at uh, certain privacy laws and make a determination about privacy laws. Um, but I think you can't get the job done with just one or two of those. You really have to look at all three. And so I believe that if we create competition in the marketplace, people have five Facebooks to choose from. They have eight search engines to choose from. They can then um, make a decision and, and create the kind of platforms that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Right now, those monopolies are crushing competition and acting in a way that doesn't give consumers choice. Absolutely, and I'd like to go through those three sections individually. So let's start with antitrust. What does that look like? Does this look like we what we had back in like the early 1900s with you know the Rockefellers and stuff like that? How do we work that angle? So I think uh, these companies actually dwarf anything that we had in the early 1900s in, in scope. Um, it's, it's really un unbelievable what uh, these companies have created. And I, I just want to say at the beginning, uh, I'm a big fan of capitalism and I am a big fan of success. Mm. I am not trying to punish success. What I'm trying to do is make sure that we have competition. These companies succeeded because there was a marketplace that allowed them uh, and really fostered them in a lot of different ways. Mm. So I think what we're ultimately talking about is uh, one, uh, the first bill that will come to the floor in the House, it's already passed the, the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, is what we call the venue bill. And it allows state attorney generals to sue these companies and keep that case in their uh, home state. Uh, so often these cases are removed to the Northern District of California and the state attorney general from Texas or Florida is playing in the backyard of these Silicon Valley giants. Mm. And so that would be one case. Another thing that really is an important concept, um, when you search for something on a search engine, that's your data. That is not the search engine's data, shouldn't be the search engine's data to uh, market and, and sell to advertisers. So uh, if people own their data, just like when you own your cell phone number, you can take that with you to another cell phone company, that opened up competition. This is the same idea. If you own your data and you want to go to another search engine, that search engine, we believe, will actually pay you in the future to take that because they can monetize your data and also, if you decide you don't want it monetized, you just want to keep that data private, you can do that also. And that's what consumer choice is really all about. Absolutely. So the second angle you mentioned was Section 230. So Section 230, briefly, is something that companies can use as a liability shield, publisher versus platform. How do we reform Section 230? You know, I haven't been as involved in that debate, and I'm fascinated to hear it, because there are some of my friends who believe that we should get rid of Section 230 altogether. There are some of my friends who believe that we should break 230 up very specifically instead of having sort of this generic uh, all of the above. If, if you find something offensive, you can keep it off of your platform um, and, and make it just much more specific. It has to be a, a, an imminent threat. It has to uh, involve pornography. It has to, um, and, and even when you do that, 
you are giving these woke big tech companies and their employees the, the discretion um, and, and given their bias, they're going to use that discretion against conservatives. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and perfect example, if you, if you met some imminent threat standard, they would say that when you talk about a vaccine or a mask, it's an imminent threat. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to take that off. So it really, uh, there's hardly any language that I can think of that would be specific enough to curtail the censorship of these companies. I do want to talk about the final angle that you mentioned, which is conservative competitors, but that is something that really struck me as well. When we look at some of these sites like Twitter and Facebook, they oftentimes will use the phrase misinformation as a excuse to ban content that they don't like. Often that is either anti-vaccine or anti-mandate content. How does misinformation or this idea of misinformation play a role in censorship on these peg tech platforms? Well, you, you use it. It's an excuse. You, you know, one thing we have in this country that makes us unique and really special is we can be wrong. And the way to address speech that's false, wrong, uh, uh, in, intentionally wrong, is with more good speech. We never, as a country, now we, no, I shouldn't say we never. We have had tyrants in the past. Uh, John Adams with the Sedition Act, Woodrow Wilson with the Sedition Act. Uh, we have had uh, presidents that have tried to stifle uh, um, negative speech. Uh, and, and the answer to that is always more speech. The answer is that we protest in the streets. The answer is that, that we use those, those God-given rights and the Bill of Rights to make sure that we overcome those people, small-minded people, that want to make sure we don't have uh, the, the ability to be wrong. So the final angle that we've discussed is conservative competitors to these large sites. So. How do places like Parler, Getter, Rumble, what role do they play in this debate over big tech? Well, Parler's a perfect example. You, you had a company that was competing. It wasn't a, a huge portion of the market, but it was competing. And, and then there was this uh, seemingly, I have no evidence of it, but it sure seemed awful suspicious that all of a sudden, uh, you know, the uh, Amazon Web Services acted, and then Apple acted, or maybe in the other order, and then, and so you had all these woke companies deciding, well, Parler's reckless, and we're going to take them down. Um, so you, you, again, and we learned something from that. We now have web services that will host conservative uh, platforms. So, so some good came of that. But the, the, really the necessity is to have more parlors, stronger parlors, and uh, parlors that are immune from uh, that kind of really collusive behavior. So we have actually got a new social media platform that has just come out called Truth Social. And this is a platform that has been backed by President Trump. What are your thoughts on this new platform? Well, a good friend of mine, Devin Nunes, is running that platform, and uh, I think he will be wildly successful with it. I think President Trump has put together the funding that's necessary to make that successful. I understand that there is a waiting list just to get on that platform. It's so uh, popular at this point, and I think that's exactly what we need. Now, uh, Twitter is not um, as much of a monopoly, and, and that marketplace is easier to penetrate than the marketplaces that we're talking about with Facebook and Amazon and Apple and, and Google. So uh, it is a, a little bit different, and, and it's not even one of the companies we're aiming at with these antitrust bills. 
Um, but I think it's really essential that, that we create the kind of competition and we have this robust debate in, in our society. One final question for you, Congressman. Do we believe that big tech will ever recognize it's important to have conservative voices on the platform, or are we going to have to move to these other platforms to let our voices be heard? I think that, that big tech reacts to profit and loss, and the, the more that we can pressure them, the better we're going to be at getting them to move in the right direction. So in other words, if these new platforms force Twitter to uh, reconsider their position, they'll reconsider their position. Um, and, and that's what competition does, and that's exactly the reason why we need the antitrust laws. That was Congressman Ken Buck, who represents Colorado's 4th Congressional District. Congressman, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I am so pleased to be joined by North Carolina Congressman Ted Budd. Congressman, thank you so much for being Thanks, here. Thanks, Virginia. Thanks for having me. You know, as we think about what is happening right now in our nation and in our schools mm -hmm. in particular, I think we think back to the past two years, and so many Americans have really been awakened to what is happening in education and what are these really progressive policies that are being pushed and promoted on our kids. I think this is something that North Carolinians have been aware of for maybe longer than the rest of the country. You all were the first state to um, have a, a bathroom bill up for debate that would allow biological men to, to use women's bathrooms. You all have been on the forefront of this fight. So why do you think that the far left is so determined to promote and push their ideas into our classrooms and on our kids in school? But you know, you're right, uh, Virginia, this has been going on for quite a while, but it, I don't know if it accelerated, but co what COVID did is it drove a lot of kids out of the school. It drove a lot of parents home doing those who could work remotely. And they started watching what was happening on their kids' computer screens. Mm -hmm. uh, and they started seeing what was being pushed. The left, foolishly, tactically, didn't change their, their, their they didn't soften their message. They drove even harder during, uh, uh, under the cover of COVID. So they, uh, parents were seeing this and saying, well, it's like the theme of the conference here. It's uh, uh, awake, not woke. And uh, that's what happened to parents is they, they woke up. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a good thing that parents have awakened to the challenges that are going on right now. But the left has been tremendously aggressive, you could say, for, you know, it's been 100 years or so. Yeah. And it just seems to um, exponentially accelerate. Well, and I think that that's been the one positive of COVID is this unveiling of parents actually kind of getting to see in the window of what is my child actually learning? What are they being taught? Um, but we know that there's so many damages to remote learning. You have just sponsored yeah. a bill that was introduced by Representative Mark Green of Tennessee that says, okay, we, we have to get our kids back in school and we shouldn't be providing federal funding to schools, to educational institutions that aren't offering in-person learning. What do you think are the long-term effects for our kids who you know, have, have been out of school for, for a year, for two years? Well, you, I mean, as humans, we're supposed to interact with others. You know, it's part of our God-given design. And we take a lot of that away when we only interact with screens. Uh, you have a lack of uh, social maturity. You're seeing um, even Atrium Health in North Carolina, one of the big health providers based out of Charlotte and also now Winston-Salem, um, they're seeing 28% increases in those that are age 5 to 11 uh, in their uh, mental emergencies case. So, uh, cases. So I'm, I'm tremendously concerned that you're seeing somewhere around a 25% increase in psychiatric needs mm. for the youngest in our society. And 
we, we hope that's short-lived, but my concern is that it's not. Yeah, that's really frightening to hear you say that. Well, and one of the other major issues that we are facing in our schools is the teaching of critical race theory. We're seeing this really far left agenda being promoted. And you actually serve on uh, the subcommittee for diversity and inclusion in Congress. Obviously, we, we hear those words. Everyone has different meanings associated with those words. People draw conclusions right away. What exactly is your mission on the subcommittee for diversity and inclusion? So that's a subcommittee of the Financial Services Committee. So it's mm-hmm. particularly in uh, banking, insurance. A lot of people come up to me around the state since I'm traveling statewide now running for the U.S. Senate. They're asking me everywhere in my district, around the state, and they're, they're saying, what is this ESG? Environmental, social, governments, attacks from the left trying to control through diversity, through environmentalism, through governance, and to really press this woke leftist progressive agenda that not only does it hurt individuals, I think it destroys the value of these companies uh, economically. So it hurts us from every single angle. Uh, I mean, it's just, and we've seen this accelerate just like we have from our schools over the last uh, two years. One of the things that we see is our national motto. Yes, it's in God we trust, but it's also e pluribus unum, more of a national slogan. A slogan. And so we see the Latin there, which is out of many, one. Critical race theory the irony there is it's trying to ostensibly solve racism, but it adds more racism and more division in order to do so. We need more things that are e pluribus unum, that bring us together, out of many one, out of many states, one nation, out of many peoples, one country. So we need to have more of that rather than more division, which we see through critical race theory and ESG and other uh, advances from the left. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's so critical to be tackling those issues really on the home front and yeah. be talking about them and raising that awareness. Uh, and, you know, as, as we think back to all of these issues, whether it be critical race theory or, or COVID that we are, we're facing right now in America, you have been really clear that um, we need to make sure that at home, we are taking care of the folks back home, and that includes in our hospitals. And you've recently asked the government to let rural hospitals with staffing shortages to not require all employees to be vaccinated. What exactly was your your motivation behind this ask of the government? Well, I mean, you have so many people in the cities, urban areas, but especially in rural areas that are choosing not to be vaccinated. Uh, They have concerns about the vaccine. Now, let's remember, I, I was on President Trump's team helping with Operation Warp Speed, the presence of the vaccine, I believe is a good thing. But nowhere in the Constitution does it allow for a mandate that someone should be vaccinated. I believe it's absolutely against individuals' right to uh, life, liberty, and their pursuit of happiness. So we can't allow the Constitution to be violated in search of public health. And that's still in question. So we want to make sure that the hospitals have as many people as they need. There are staffing shortages. It doesn't matter if you're going to, well, throw back to our state, Bojangles, Biscuits, right? (laughs) Or Biscuitville, uh, you know, one of the great places there. Or any quick serve restaurant or fast fast food restaurant. All the way across to manufacturing, trucking, we see so many shortages. Why would they want to make that worse with a vaccine mandate? When these are the smartest people when it comes to public health, these are nurses and practitioners that work day in and day out. They know the risks. They know their own health status. Let them make the decision rather than government mandating it to a person. Yeah, well, and I think for so long we were calling them heroes. And gosh, it's got to be so hard to then for them, you know, one moment they're being called a hero and thanked for their service. And the next they're being told, 
you don't have a job anymore because you refuse the vaccine, even though you're a medical professional. Yeah. Um, so thank you for helping to stand up for their rights. In Virginia, it's happening in our military as well with these mandates. You're seeing folks that have uh, impeccable records of service in all branches of, of our military that are being denied religious or personal exemptions to the vaccine, that are being asked to leave the military in a time where the world's more in flux than it's ever been in the last 30 years. So it's tremendously concerning, not only what it does to our medical providers and our hospitals, what does it do to our uh, potential police forces? What does it do to our military as well? Mm -hmm. Let people make their own decisions and live with the risk thereof. Look, if somebody needs to wear a mask or have a vaccine, I'm totally supportive of that. We shouldn't make fun of anyone for their decisions there, but we should let it be an individual's decision. Mm -hmm. Well, and I've spoken with teachers as well that have that same concern that their school districts are asking them, hey, you have to be vaccinated, and they're in fear of losing their jobs now. How, yeah. how is North Carolina dealing with that? The, uh, the same way. Again, we have a Republican state legislature, but we have a Democrat governor, unfortunately. Um, uh, you know, his policies uh, track right along with the progressive left. Uh, it's mask mandates. We see a tremendous amount of hypocrisy there with, uh, with Governor Cooper. But, uh, you know, now they're trying, the left is trying to race forward because they see a red wave coming in 2022. All of their policies now are about mitigation and damage mitigation, trying to lessen whether it's redistricting, whether it's mass policies, hoping that by the time that November gets here, that American people will forget how oppressive the left was towards them. But I don't think that the American people, North Carolinians in particular, are going to forget how oppressive the left was in schools, in hospitals, police forces, workforce in general, in their mandates. So we will remember. Before we let you go, I want to ask you, we've talked a lot about schools, we've talked about public education, yeah. things that they're facing. Some people are at the point where they're saying, you know what, I think the public schools are lost. What are your thoughts? Can they be redeemed? Can we pull them back from all these far left policies? I think I've been to every type of school, a public high school in Davie County, where I still live on our family farm today. Uh, and went to a public college. I, I wouldn't say they're lost. And I would say on the net, we have more good teachers and administrators than we do bad. But we, we always notice the rotten apples and the rotten eggs. That's what needs to, uh, to leave the system. Uh, let's be people that promote constitutional freedoms to our next generation to preserve what's great about this country. Um, so I'm, uh, we've homeschooled our children. My daughter Macy is with us today. She's 17 years old, headed to Liberty University next year. So we've got, you know, uh, our kids have uh, been, been homeschooled, but our, many of our friends were public schooled. And in Davie County, we've got great schools, uh, but a lot of places, including closer to where you are in Northern Virginia, Loudoun County, we've seen just tremendous woke agenda. The parents are waking up and putting a stop to it. I've never seen more energy in my history, pre-politics, because I've only been in politics five years or so, but I've never seen more energy for county commissions and school boards. So I'm proud of parents that are stepping up and being involved. It's very impressive, I agree. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you joining the show. Thank you, Virginia. My guest today is Congressman Scott Perry, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and a representative for Pennsylvania's 10th Congressional District. Congressman, welcome yeah. to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be with you. It is a pleasure to have you here. So President Biden has been in office for slightly over a year now, and we are quickly approaching his State of the Union address, which will be coming up next month, that will address how America is doing. So, Congressman, what is the state of America? The state of America, unfortunately, is abject failure and chaos, both abroad and here at home. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, as I understand it, um, the Capitol has a fence around it again. 
the city's locked down. This is America's capital, and the citizens that pay the bills, the citizens that are the bosses of the president and members of Congress, they're not invited, mm-hmm. and they're literally not invited to the State of the Union. So, so people that are living under the tyranny of an open border where their loved one was killed by somebody here illegally, either in drunk driving or other criminal activity, not invited to come in and see their president and, and see them him face-to-face ignore the problem of the border. Uh, Gold Star mothers that lost their, their loved ones in war as we walked out of Afghanistan giving a terrorist organization $85 billion in American military treasure and, and, and a humiliating defeat. Those who have lost their loved mm. ones who say, what was, my, what was my sacrifice? What was our sacrifice for? Aren't able to face their president. Those who are paying exorbitant prices at gas stations uh, just to live their daily lives, that go to stores, can't afford to buy what's on the shelf, but even can't find stuff on the shelf based on the terrible policy decisions of this administration and President Biden aren't invited to the Capitol to see the president and hear the State of the Union. This is a, it's just a, an unprecedented and, and unfortunately a very dark time in America. And we seek to change things, obviously, dramatically. Moving on to the news of the day, obviously all eyes are on Ukraine right. as President Vladimir Putin has invaded the country. What do you think of President Biden's handling of this crisis over in Ukraine right now? So talking about how we got here is as important as talking about what we do next. How we got here can be laid at the feet of President Biden, in my opinion, and it is in two forms. First of all, the energy policy. President Biden, this administration, and many on the left, while they, they have you know, dreams of grandeur in this Green New Deal, either refuse to understand or incapable of understanding not the world as they wish they, they see or could be, but the world as it is. Russia gets 40, 50 percent of its economic power from, from, from petroleum, right, from fossil fuels. They do that by selling them, by providing them to other parts of the world. The only way that a, a large land country like Russia, with the size of a, an economy the size of, of Italy, can, can have this invasion, set up shop in Ukraine, is because they're affording it because of the high prices based on United States energy policy. We used to be sending out about three million more barrels, three million more barrels a day under the Trump administration than we are now. You're seeing the price at the Mm. pump. We're seeing Vladimir Putin uh, invade Ukraine. That's as a function. That comes as a function of that policy. That's a number one. Number two, the rhetoric. Weak, feckless, um, and inconsistent has told Vladimir Putin that the guy in the White House is either incompetent or just unable to deal with the problem at hand and he's got a green light to go in and nothing's going to be done. And realistically at this point, not much, certainly nothing's been done to stop him. And it doesn't look like, and it doesn't sound like we're willing to do anything to stop him. So what should be done? It sounds like action must be taken. Action must be taken. So immediately reverse the United States, the Biden energy policy, open up the federal lands, open up the Keystone pipeline, open up ANWR, open up continental shelf drilling and say that we are gonna start supplying the world's oil and natural gas as we can and should. And also, we're going to discontinue buying Russian. Mm. Understand this. We're buying Russian oil and gas right now. At today, we're going to buy as at the same time that Russia's invading Ukraine. We're paying Russia to invade Ukraine. It's it's ridiculous. That, that That's number one. Number two, all the financial requirements, um, SWIFT, 
what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for them to invade Poland or Latvia? What are we waiting for? They should not be able to finance any of this stuff. There needs to be very difficult and, 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 and profound consequences to an unprovoked attack on a peaceful neighbor. Right. Moving from abroad to at home, of course, America is also suffering from economic problems and COVID-19 problems. How has America's leadership affected that recovery? How has President Joe Biden affected our, our All recovery? All it's done is shutter it and slow it down. You see the, the problems at, uh, at your store shelves, whether it's the cost or just the availability of goods. Now we potentially have one of these trucker or more of these trucker convoys because of these mandates that you get the injection. This is America. We all want to be safe. We all want to take care of the person in our family or our neighbors. But it's not the federal government's job to mandate that you, you get some medical care that you may or may not need that you have questions about. And, and, and America is being slowed down. People are losing their jobs. They're losing their jobs in the healthcare arena after we relied upon those people to be there to put themselves on the front lines, not knowing what we had, and to potentially have themselves infected and imperil their own lives. And now that we're treating them like literally second-class citizens saying, unless you do what the federal government says, you, the person who should know most, you're in the healthcare arena, you lose your job. Mm. That's having a cascading effect on this economy that ripples from the top to the bottom. Sure. Now, we've discussed foreign policy, domestic policy. In what area has the president performed the worst? Well, it is, uh, boy, it's, it, is, it is difficult to make that assessment. I mean, Afghanistan, now Ukraine, arguably the president's poor performance not only has such profound negative effects for the United States of America, our economy, uh, the psyche of the American people, pride in America, but for the rest of the world. So while he has decimated the United States economy with these horrific policies, that's just the United States. Now, we, it does have spinoff effects to the rest of the world, but these other foreign policy blunders uh, just have profound effects that might affect the rest of the world for the rest of our lifetime. And so I think I'm going to have to fall in on the side of abject failure on the foreign policy front as the winner for Biden's failures. Interesting. As we mentioned at the top, you are chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. Um, how is the House Freedom Caucus helping to counter the president's woke agenda? So what the House Freedom Caucus is, if people don't know, we're people that actually believe in what we say when we run for office. So when you see the commercials and you say, oh, I think I might vote for that person. And then later on you say, well, I voted for these people. Why isn't any of this happening? Because a lot of people say one thing and do another. We're the people that say one thing and do the one thing. When We, we don't make it complicated, right? We said we're going to do this. When we go to Washington, this is what we do. We are the conscience of the conference. So what we do is, is we prove that even in difficult districts, you can say what you're going to do if you're elected and people rely on you. It's your duty. It's not only what you, you know, hope to do. It's your duty to, to stand by your word and do those things. And we prove that you can do that and still get reelected. And so we kind of lead the conference in saying, be courageous, stiffen your spine. If you said this on the campaign trail, if you're for a secure border, if you're for funding the police, if you're for a strong economy where we don't bankrupt our country, then just vote that way. And your people, even though they might disagree with you on occasion, will respect you for that. They'll respect that you, were, you, you treated them with respect as as your as as your boss they're your boss and that you were straight with them you're not always going to be perfect no one is but just do what you said you're going to do and they will reward you with sending you back to fight for them that's that's our job congressman one final question for you 
one might assume that the Republicans may take a majority back in the House in 2022. Shouldn't after assume the midterms. that. <laughs> Never assume what, that. What role, if that was to happen, would the Freedom Caucus play in a majority? Again, GOP we House? would be the conscience of the conference. So oftentimes, and look, we've lived this. Uh, Republicans have given the privilege and the honor of, of being in the majority and setting the legislating and the governing schedule and then failed to live up to the things that we said that we were going to do when we got there. The Freedom Caucus will make sure that these things get to the floor for a vote. Now, we can't tell you how your representative is going to vote. That's up to your representative. But we going to we, what we're going to seek to do is provide the opportunity for your elected official to do what he or she said to they were going to do. That's what we're going to that's what the Freedom Caucus is going to do. Excellent. That was Congressman Scott Perry, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and a representative for Pennsylvania's 10th congressional district. Congressman, very much appreciate your time. Well, thank you, sir. Great great opportunity and we sure appreciate what you guys do. Absolutely. Thank you. And that'll do it for this bonus episode of the Daily Signal podcast. Thanks so much again for listening. As always, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a five-star review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference. Stay tuned. We still have a couple more days here at the Conservative Political Action Conference. We're going to have some great interviews for you. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.